You're listening to the Doxology and Theology Podcast, where we promote, encourage, and equip gospel-centered worship. For more information, visit us at doxologyandtheology.com. Let me pray and then we'll get started. This is The Benefits and Limits of Creativity. And my subtitle is How Innovative Can We Be with the Gospel? And uh, you should be aware that Aaron Ivey at this time is also doing one on fostering a creative team culture. So if you want like a lot of enthusiasm, uh, enthusiasm about creativity, go to Aaron's. I'm going to be talking about the limits as well. So just so you know, that's where we're coming. Benefits and the limits. Although we're going to approach the limits and the benefits. All right, let me pray and then we'll get going. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to be together and be mutually encouraging and built up and convicted and strengthened and equipped for what you've called us to do uh, back in our local churches. Father, we ask that you would make uh, each of the seminars that are going on and have gone on profitable uh, for everyone who, who attends. And may you be magnified. May you be glorified. May May uh, the name of Jesus be exalted in our hearts and in our lives. Help us now to think about creativity in a way that is helpful and that uh, spurs us on to, to greater creativity uh, in a way that truly magnifies your Son, our Savior, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Uh, yeah. This is a, um, a message I first did um, down in Waco, Texas at, Texas at uh, David Crowder's Fantastical Church Music Conference. And um, I was doing it there a kind of, because I thought it might be a needed message there. Um, and uh, it seemed to go well, so I'm doing it again. Um, but I'm, I'm thinking that uh, you're here, I should probably ask you, You're here because we live in a world where in the church, creativity is is on the rise, if not like at the mountain peak already, Uh, where it's highly valued. It's it's uh, assumed in many cases. When I talk about creativity, I'm talking about musical creativity, theological creativity, liturgical creativity, just just things we can do different than either what we've done before or, or what everybody else is doing. That, that's a high value in our culture. And I want to begin by just saying that we should thank God that throughout history, churches have been creative. And God's people have been creative. And we have benefited from the create, creative gifts that God has given his people. It's wrong, it's grieving whenever Christians sing or preach or talk about the glorious realities of the gospel in a boring way. That shouldn't be what is taking place in our churches. So some people look at that and think, well, what can we do different? And that's where creativity comes in. And creativity as you've most likely heard said, is, is an aspect of, of the God we worship. God's the creator, and, and he imparts to his people gifts of creativity. You, you see God's you know, creativity and just the variety and the beauty, the order and the intricacy of the world around us. You, know, you think of 
the, the stars and the planets and, and their order, and then when you, you look with a very high-powered microscope, you see just the order that exists in things we don't even see. Uh, that's our creative God. We owe a significant debt to Christians throughout the centuries who have pushed the boundaries of creativity uh, to serve future generations. It was difficult for them when it happened. I'm thinking of, uh, you know, when for, for centuries music was sung by ear and then notes were introduced to the church. Um, thankful for that. And then it's kind of gone back again to where we're playing by ear again. And I'm thankful for that too. And, uh, moving from one part to many, for centuries again, the church just sang one part. There was no, no polyphony, no harmony. And then someone said, hey, why don't we sing more than one part? And aren't you glad for parts? Um, it's great, unison's great, but, but parts is great too. And that at one point was radical. Um, thankful for Luther, who thought that the word of God should be sung in, in native language and not in Latin. So he, he had the people sing songs in German, the language, their language. And that was so great. I mean, think of it, if there was no creativity in, in musical worship, we'd all be singing like Middle Eastern folk songs. That's, that's what we'd be singing. Uh, thankful for Isaac Watts, who Mike Cosper spoke of last night, and his influence on hymnody. I mean, that, he's one of my heroes, Isaac Watts. I went to his grave in England, I cried. I just thought, that's where his body is, it's kind of sad. But I, I so respect his, his efforts to, to say to the church, you know what, the Psalms, yes, are God's word, but that's not the only thing we're supposed to be singing. So he wrote all these hymns, over 650 hymns, to help us, to give, give voice, to give language for us to, to praise God with. Um, you know, I've lived through the era when drums were introduced to the church. Um, and it was not an easy battle, and you can thank me later. Um, I was a part of a band in the late 70s, early 80s that, that used to come into to church buildings, and sometimes we were met with just you know, just frowns and stares, and people say, what are you doing bringing those drums into the sanctuary? So, well, we were asked to play tonight. I said, okay, those aren't going here. That's what it was like in some churches in the 70s. It may still be like that now, but, but not for most. That was a creative element that was brought in. So we're thankful for creativity. I could go on uh, with that. But creativity raises questions, and that's what I want to talk about, some of the questions it raises. Can creativity exceed wise boundaries? It's one question. Can creativity turn from something helpful to something harmful? We, we, we want to look at that question. And has God put any limits on how creative the church can be when we gather? So some people would answer that immediately, no. I want to propose that the answer is yes. The Bible's filled with examples of creativity. We've talked about some historically. You see it in the Bible. Bezalel, when he's building the temple in Exodus 35, verses 30 through 35, says, and he has filled him with the spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship, 
to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze and cutting stones for setting and in carving wood for work in every skilled craft. Exodus 35, 35. He has filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen or by a weaver, by any sort of workman or skilled designer. So in the place where God was to be worshipped, to meet with God, he was concerned about the aesthetics of what was going on there. There was creativity going on there. David brought musical and liturgical innovations to temple worship. We don't read much about the music at the tabernacle before David arrived. But when David came, he introduced all kinds of stuff that was going on as sacrifices were being offered. The the, um, prophets were prophesying to, to music, and that continued throughout history. The Psalms alone are this stunning example of of creativity through sophisticated literary and musical devices that include acrostics, parallelisms, rhythmic variety, and more. So just, I mean, you just look at the Psalms. There's so much creativity there. They're not all four verses, you know, the same meter. You got Psalm 117, two verses, and they have Psalm 119, 176 verses. You know, that, that's creativity. So that's, that's what God has given us. Now, the benefits of creativity, there are a lot of them. Creativity can help us see the truth from a different perspective, causing us to be impacted by it more deeply. So it just helps us see things differently. Um, an example would be uh, the song, Before the Throne of God Above, which until the late 90s was typically sung to Jerusalem, the hymn tune Jerusalem. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name, my name is written on his heart. I know the Father. Yeah, so, okay, that's the tune. That's the one. So, in 1998, Vicki Cook, who's a good friend of mine, put it to this tune. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. It just helps you hear the words better. So, that's an example where creativity tunes us in more finely to to what the words are saying. Creativity, too, can be a way of faithfully using the gifts that God has given us. So I know some people who just have creativity flowing out of them. My wife is one of them, Julie. She She just has this ability to, like, picture things in her mind and then write it down on paper and then sketch it down on paper and then build it. She does all that. And I just, and she like labors like hours and hours and hours. And I'm thinking, that's just not the way I am. I'm just thinking, if I'm going to design it, it's going to be as simple as possible to build. We'll already have it, and it's going to take about 10 minutes to put up. Well, Julie's not like that. She'll spend like a month working on this, you know, set for a, a conference or something. And when she's done, I think, that's amazing. It's incredible. So, 
creativity gives her an opportunity to use those gifts. And then wisely applied creative thinking can make the truth more accessible to our creative culture. Ultimately, we don't want people coming to our churches because we're so creative. That's the wrong reason for people to come to our churches. But people in our culture are bombarded by creativity constantly. And that's what gets the attention. We're, we just, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, videos, movies, billboards, just everywhere, there is stuff coming at us, and the most creative stuff gets the attention. So we want to at least be aware of that as, as we're trying to combat on, you know, in, in 70 minutes to, to two hours on a Sunday morning, uh, that's all we got, you know, with, with the church. So what we say and communicate better be compelling. It better be compelling. Now, what we want most compelling is the gospel, which I'll get into in later. So as beneficial as creativity is, God's not always impressed with our creativity. So we have some biblical examples. Exodus 32, which uh, Aaron was talking about this morning. Aaron creatively fashioned a golden calf to represent God. I'm sure it was very creative. God was not impressed. Numbers 3, Nadab and Abihu offered unauthorized fire before the Lord and he killed them. <coughs> it's not looking good. 2 Samuel 6, David was transporting the ark back to Jerusalem in the way he thought was best and Uzzah was struck dead when he touched the ark. As R.C. Sproul says, he thought that his hand was less defiled than the dirt. 1 Samuel 10, Saul pragmatically offers his own sacrifices when Samuel doesn't come back in time and God takes the kingdom from him. So creativity by itself does not always produce good results. And we have Pharisees and legalists through the centuries who have come up with creative ways to relate to God that avoid our complete and utter dependence on Christ. We try and find something to insert in there that, that makes Jesus just a little better for people. We try to be PR for God. And God doesn't need PR. He just needs to be faithfully represented in the power of his spirit. So, in, so, so creativity is not always a good idea. So how do we think about it? That's what I want to talk about. How do we think about the benefits and limits of creativity? So an analogy I found helpful is to think of creativity as water. When water has limits, it's a blessing, a real blessing. When water breaks beyond those limits, it's a problem. So think of the water in your house. Where is the water in your house? It's in the pipes. When it's in the pipes, it's great. You used to wash your hands, you take a shower, bath, toilet, uh, just it's great, it's, it's working great really serves you. When it's outside those pipes, not so much. Think of the water in a river. When, a, when the water in a river flows between the boundary of the banks, you can take a boat on it, you can water ski on it, you can fish in it, you can play in it. But when it overflows its banks, you have a flood. It's destructive. 
Think of even an ocean, which would represent you know, the boundlessness of creativity. Well, even a, an ocean has a shore. And if the ocean goes beyond that shore, it's a tsunami. Again, it's destructive. So, so I want us to gain a fresh appreciation for the God-ordained boundaries and limits the pipes, the banks, and the shorelines, if you will, that God has set for creativity. Because in the church, creativity is not something we do, it's a way we do something. If you could take one principle from, from this today, it's that. Creativity is not something we do, it's a way we do something. Now I want to end this, this time, hopefully, with some Q&A. We'll see. Um, but before that, I want to I talk about, I want to encourage you to pursue creativity. But before we get there, I, I want to say something about the limits. I'm going to spend some time on those boundaries. Because to pursue creativity without a concern for its function in the church confines us to always pursuing originality and newness which is in contradiction to Ecclesiastes 1.9, which says there's nothing new under the sun. We're just repeating what other people have done. Uh, remember one church saying our, our goal is each Sunday to, to keep people guessing as to what's coming next. To, to, oh, let everything be a surprise. It's not a very good goal for your church. And I, I don't think that church is even still doing that. But that was the attitude. We're gonna be really creative and make things really exciting. Mm, no, you won't. Uh, there'll be problems with that. Pursuing creativity without limits can lead us to idolizing creativity rather than worshiping Jesus. People will come to see what we're going to do next. And the standard is not, was Christ exalted, but were we creative enough? Well, let me put flesh on that. It's saying after a meeting... Um, you know, being concerned, did we, did we do enough good arrangements? Did we, um, were there things that we've never done before? Were people like thrilled? Did we have some wow moments? Well, I'm not sure those are the best questions. Uh, those aren't the best questions. The best questions would be, was Jesus Christ and what he's done and who he is clearly portrayed in a compelling way? so that people understand what he did and why it matters. That's, that's what we want to do. We might use creativity to get there, but if we don't start there, creativity will quickly take over our planning and our evaluation. Uh, I don't know if it's still going on, but I know for, for a time it's, it was like vogue to have creative teams for the church, or maybe we still do. Um, you know, I'm the creative pastor. Golly. Um, that just may not be the most helpful title. <laughs> I'm the creative pastor. Just, I can't do anything the same twice. I just got to be creative. I'm just always going to be thinking of new things. And maybe you don't perceive it that way, but at least it can, it can lead in that direction. Here's what Harold Best says uh, in Unceasing Worship. Uh, just talking about our, our, the necessity of creativity serving the gathering. Christian artists in direct service to the corporate assembly must understand from the start that the arts 
must function differently here than in any other circumstances. So when your church gathers, it's different from any other gathering. And this takes an enormous amount of creative humility, skill, and wisdom. So my prayer is that that's what we leave here with more of, creative humility, skill, and wisdom. So let's look at three ways church music functions when we meet and how that places good limits on our creativity. I'm focusing on music, but this can apply to technology. This can apply to art, um, but I'm trying to focus focus on music. Um, So three purposes of music in the church and their corresponding limits. First, music is meant to build up others. That's its purpose. So that would be what I call the edification limiter. Art is meant to build up others in the church. Preaching is meant to build up others in the church. Everything is meant to build up others in the church. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So, so that should guide all our thoughts about creative choices. Is this really going to build up the people in this church? As many people as possible. Is it really going to do that? 1 Corinthians 4.12 says something similar. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, well, creativity would be one of those, strive to excel in building up the church. That's what we're striving to do. So, that means the standard for the music we sing is not what serves us, but others. Requires a knowledge of the people we're leading, as well as an awareness of our own tendency to favor our own preferences. I have preferences in music. I like singable, wordy songs. And I'm realizing that not everybody, everybody likes singable songs, most people. Not everybody has wordy songs. And I can tend to equate God's stamp of approval with wordiness. And that's not the way it works. Um, We certainly want to sing songs with content and theological depth, but sometimes those songs can be simple. Sometimes we can take time to meditate on an aspect of God uh, just like we were doing this morning. Um, uh, praise the Lord, your mercy is more. Praise the Lord, your mercy is more. Praise the Lord, your mercy is more. We're saying that four or five times. Well, that doesn't sound very deep. Well, it does if you understand what his mercy is more than, which we've just been singing about. So that's what I mean by just that, that my preferences don't rule the day when it comes to the songs I do or how I lead. I knew a church which, in which the bands would practice very hard, uh, spend a lot of hours practicing, come up with arrangements that were really cool, and they would play on Sundays, and when they were done, thought, we've done our job. But when you went to that church, only about half the people were singing. So, they were not doing their job because their job was to build up the church and what they were doing was getting feel goods from coming up with great arrangements, cool creative arrangements, but they weren't, they weren't getting people to sing. So they weren't serving the church. 
So the question we're going to ask with this limiter is, is the way I'm using my creative gifts building up others, and is that my aim? I mean, how many of you would consider yourself an artist? Not, not like drawing, but just an artist. Like you're a musician, you know, that kind of thing. How many of you would do? Okay, good. That's most of us. So we just have this tendency to get excited about things that are new and creative and fresh. And not everybody in our church is like that. So, so we have to think really carefully about what kinds of creative things we're doing with arrangements, for instance, that might not serve everybody the way it serves us. All right? That's the edification limiter. Another purpose of music, to demonstrate our oneness in Christ, the unity limiter. Uh, yeah, our oneness in Christ. Romans 15, 5 through 7 says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. God intends our singing to be a demonstration of the unity that we enjoy because of the gospel. That's what it's meant to be. It's meant to be a demonstration of our unity, not a cause for its division. And for churches where there are different services for different musical styles, I would just encourage you to think about what that says about the gospel you're proclaiming. Because if, what does it say to the world when we can't sing in the same room together? We say we believe in Jesus, we're united, we're all together, but I'm not going to sing praises to God because I don't like your music. Uh, just talk to someone whose church does that, but they, once a quarter or once every other month, they, they bring everybody together. And they're trying to, to move that way. I talked to a, another individual here who they're moving um, towards a combined service and uh, where the musical styles are combined. And uh, some of the older people are feeling like uh, they're just being shut out. Well, you can't change people's hearts, but you can be faithful. And it's faithful to say that the gospel is what unites us, not our musical preference. So, there's no biblical mandate for us to use the most radical, cutting-edge music when we gather. God doesn't say that. Yes, to Christian artists who are using all their creative gifts to do wonderful work, for the world at large and for the church at large and all that. But when the church gathers, we don't have a mandate to say, okay, if you're really serious about praising me, you will come up with like really amazing arrangements and great lights and it will just be awesome. God doesn't tell us that. He doesn't say that to us. He says, do what builds up the church. Do what demonstrates your unity because I want people to see that you are one. That's what I want people to see. Nor is it wise to build churches long term around a style of music that appeals to one generation and not to others. Now that's going to happen when you're, you're like a church plant and in every, it's all these 20-somethings and they all listen to the same music and it's just easy. You, you come together, everybody knows the same song, you just sing them, it's great. Either over time, 
or just because God brings them in, you're going to have old people in your midst. And it's funny, I would be one of those old people. I don't think of myself as one of those old people, but I guess I would be. Um, who might say, you know what? We find it hard to sing that. What are you going to do? Well, this church isn't for you. You can go to the church down the street that sings the old stuff. No. There's a, there are kinds of music, there are choices of music that we can look for, and part of this is arranging, that help people sing together. You know, when we sing the national anthem, I, you don't see young people go, no, nah, I don't like that. It's not my style. Or, and you don't see old people saying, you know, I don't like that. It's not my style. Everybody sings it. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, national pride in that. Or, but there's a, there's a tune that everybody sings and they, they enter in on. There are tunes that are better for that than others. So that's, just want to throw that out there. The, uh, okay. So the question is, what kind of music best enables the people of God from different generations, backgrounds, socioeconomic classes to sing together so that we might demonstrate that the gospel has not only reconciled us to God, but to each other? What kind of music does that? As I've thought about this, I, I realize I, it's really music that just is easy to sing, uh, you know, that... that it just doesn't require a lot of thinking. Um, it, what were we singing this one? Crown him with many crowns, the lamb upon his throne. It's a well-known tune, so that helps. Um, uh, you need to figure out in your own context what songs are just easy to pick up, easy to sing, desirable to sing. Those are the kind of songs you want to look for to sing. Now, in most churches, if, you're, if people aren't all on this page, you're going to need to teach it, you're going to need to model it, and you're going to need to encourage people in it. Uh, it doesn't just happen instantly. It, requir it requires patience. So we have to teach our churches to prefer others when it, when it comes to the music we sing. The goal isn't to make sure everyone is happy, but to make sure everyone is humble. That's, that's what we're seeking to do. We don't want to say to people, hey, we'll sing your kind of music and your kind of music and your kind of music and your kind of music. What we want to do is say, you know what, we're going to try and find some songs that we all can enjoy singing together. Um, that can be a challenge. It is a challenge. But if we press through in faith, looking for ways to really serve people, uh, there, are, there are songs out there that, that will do that. Third uh, purpose of music is to enable the word of Christ to dwell in us richly. And I call this the gospel limiter. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So we're... We're enabling the word of Christ, which is the gospel, to dwell in people richly. The, the words of Christ, the word of Christ, the story of his incarnation and his perfect life and his substitutionary atonement for our sins, where he died in our place to take our punishment, his resurrection from the dead, his ascension to the Father's right hand, his current reign in heaven where he intercedes for us. That's what we want to dwell in people richly. 
And that's what our services and our songs and our liturgies are meant to do. This is what uh, Steve Turner says in Imagine, A Vision for Christians in the Arts. It came out years ago, and just a little book that had some great stuff to say. The cross presents the artist with difficulties because although it contains complexity and we never exhaust its marvels or comprehend the depth of its truths, it is unambiguous. Talking about the cross. Christ didn't die to teach us lessons about bravery or to encourage us to face difficulties, to encourage us when we face difficulties. He died because that was the penalty God demanded for his sin, for our sin. That's why he died. That's what people need to be clear on. That's what we want them to see. Music happens to be one of the ways that God has chosen to deepen the effect of the gospel in our lives. You know, someone can say, you know, Jesus died for you. He, he died in your place and, and your sins are taken care of. And uh, you think, that's great. It just can have a different effect when you say, now my debt is paid, it is paid in full by the precious blood that my Jesus spilled. Now the curse of sin has no hold on me, whom the Son sets free, oh, is free indeed. It's, yes, we can stretch it out and make it come deeply into our hearts so that we go, yes! That's what music can help us do. It provides a means for us to express emotion about the gospel. So when we sing, um, Come behold the wondrous mystery in the dawning of the King. There's this, this reflection, this wonder, this awe that Jesus would come, lay down his life in our place, and that just gives us an opportunity to express that. It can help stir up passions for the gospel. So as we hear people around us singing, or as even we're singing ourselves, it comes fresh to us again. And we remember, oh, this is why the gospel is so important. I am forgiven. I belong to God. I'm his child. My future is secure. I can never be separated from his love. And, and so these emotions are stirred up in our hearts. It's meant to help the word of God, the word of Christ dwell in us richly. That's what music's supposed to do. Now, when you combine creativity with the gospel, that's where problems can, can develop. We have to fight to keep the gospel central and prominent in the midst of our creativity. And as, as I've gone to meetings, and as I have uh, had opportunity to be in different churches at times, that doesn't always seem clear. The gospel doesn't always seem clear. D.A. Carson in his book, The Cross and Christian Ministry says, it is at least possible that we are the generation of believers who will destroy much of historic Christianity from within. Not in the first instance by rancid unbelief, but by raising relatively peripheral questions to the place where functionally they displace what is central. What are relatively peripheral questions? What kind of lighting system should we get? 
What kind of background should we have for the lyrics? What kind of synth sounds should we get? None of those are bad questions. They're just not the central questions. They're not the most important questions. It's too easy to assume the gospel. The message of Christ is paramount in the life of the people of God. Just listen to the way it's described in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 2.2 For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's what Paul says. 1 Corinthians 15.3 For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. Galatians 6.14 Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And there's more I could give you. Creativity is meant to serve the Gospel. But used unwisely, it can fight against it. We actually make it hard for people to see the gospel. And I want to give you at least, I want to give you three ways that, that creativity can, can affect the gospel. The way, ways it can undermine the word of Christ that, we, that God wants to dwell in people richly. First, creativity can distract from the gospel, affecting its value. Creativity that is overbearing or that forms a main part of our thinking or our meetings tends to draw attention to itself. Someone once said, what you win people with is what you win them to. I think generally that's true. It's, it's not that the gospel has been understood and found deficient. It's that the gospel hasn't been understood. And so when we personally aren't walking in the power and the good of the fact that our sins are forgiven through Jesus Christ, we won't believe that that will really move people. So we'll have to do other things to really move them. That's why I love starting this morning with crowning with many crowns a cappella. It's like, what else do you need? You know? You, you know why that can be a moving moment? Because... We are focusing on Jesus Christ and what he's done. Now, some of you look at that and go, well, that was creative. Boy, you hardly ever start off with something uh, with acapella. Well, maybe so, but that's not what I was thinking when I was planning what we were going to sing. It was, okay, we've just heard a message on grace alone, and how appropriate would it be to focus on the one who gives us that grace, who is that grace. So that's what drove that. But it wasn't, yeah, let's see, how can we like do something unique here, something fresh, something like creative here? So that can't be what drives what we're doing. It's got to be how do we make sense of what Jesus has done and who he is and how it affects our lives now. That's what we're seeking to ask. And because we don't believe the gospel is valuable, we start to try and give people other things that we think are valuable. Whether it be, you know, it could be a number of things. Constant synth sounds or the crazy guitar leads or amazing vocal arrangements or... Um, more drums or something. And we think, yeah, this will do it. This will do it. And it won't do it. Because nothing's as powerful as the gospel. Nothing's as valuable 
as the gospel. So we want our people coming back week after week after week after week to hear more about why Jesus is so great. Because we tend to forget. And we don't want to give them the sense that there's something greater than Jesus. Because there's not. Secondly, creativity can distort the gospel, affecting its content. So this especially applies to music, lyrics. Metaphors can be so obscure or language so vague that the clarity of the gospel is lost. So I pulled out some samples. Tearing through the night, riding on the storm, staring down the fight, my eyes found yours. Shining like the sun, striding through my fear. The Prince of Peace met me there. You heard my prayer. Hope like the sun, light piercing through the dark. The Prince of Peace came and broke into my heart. The violent cross, the empty grave, and in your light I found grace. I mean, that's very creative. It doesn't tell us what Jesus did. It's just, it's just very creative. Um, I think I, I had some other examples here. Um, tired of endless walking, not knowing which way to go. I collapsed on a street called Mercy. I was found in you. Throwing your arms around me, you held me like I was yours. <laughs> I think I am his, but like, like you'd been there the whole time waiting. <laughs> I think he was there the whole time waiting. No, it's like it. I was found in you. Wrapped up in scarlet kindness, you welcome the sinner home. Now I breathe in the air of heaven. All I want is you. Keep me within your shadow, Lord. Tether my heart to yours. I want nothing without your presence. All I want is you. I, I don't know the author of the song, and they could have written some great songs. I'm just saying that lyrics like that don't enable the word of Christ to dwell in us richly. Uh, one more. You draw our hearts from the shadows towards your horizon, leaving the shade of the half-light to follow the sun. The city stirs in the twilight in search of the morning, streets finding life in the sunburst of your bright shining love. For the light is calm and the night cannot understand it as the world keeps spinning, this hope within us is rising. And like the rising sun, wake up your light in us and we will shine with grace as we call on your name. And when the day is done, this sound will carry on till the night folds over in awe of our Savior. Like mountains mirror the sunrise, reflecting your glory, might we exhibit your hope, bright salvation in us. Like I said, metaphors can so obscure the meaning or the language be so vague that the clarity of the gospel is lost. The gospel brings us from darkness into light. We don't want our songs to reverse the process. A friend of mine said that. I just thought that was just great. <laughs> the gospel brings us from darkness into light. We don't want our songs to reverse the process. Greg Gilbert in his book, What is the Gospel, says, all of us are tempted in the name of being winsome witnesses to present the gospel in as attractive a way as possible. That's fine in some respects. It is good news after all, but we must be careful not to round off the gospel's sharp points. The gospel is offensive. Some of our songs will be offensive to people. It's okay. We want the gospel to be clear. The gospel is God's story and deeds, not ours. So we want to be faithful to its message. God is holy. We are sinful. We should be condemned, but God is forgiveness through the gift of his own son who died in our place so that we might be justified in his eyes before him. 
songwriters and leaders can distort the gospel with original lyrics. I, in the last seminar, I used the example of the last line of Above All, which is a great song, except for the last line. Um, like a rose trampled on the ground, uh, he took the fall and thought of me above all. It's a nice twist of a phrase. It's just not true, at least as written. And uh, I've talked with Paul Blash, and he said, we didn't mean that he thought of me above all. I said, yes, Paul, but that's what you said. That's what it says. And so uh, seeking to be creative, we can end up actually distorting things, distorting the gospel. Third way creativity can affect the gospel, and then we're going to talk about the benefits and ways we can pursue creativity. Creativity can demean the gospel, affecting its power. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The goal is not to be creative, but to see lives change. And I know that for those who pursue creativity, that's what they want. They want to see lives changed. It's just how does that happen? How do lives change? Well, it happens through the Spirit applying the power of the gospel to people's lives. The success, the success of our meetings isn't dependent on what we do creatively. New lighting, new layout, new arrangements, but something God has already done. And that's what we want people to see. All right, enough of the limits. I want to talk about pursuing creativity in a way that magnifies Christ. First, know and treasure the immeasurable riches of grace that we have received in Christ. If you don't believe that the gospel is the greatest news the world has ever heard, and that, that it is just an absolute joy to help people understand what it is, what it means, how it impacts their lives, that we are going to be constantly tempted to look to creativity to kind of fill things out. You know, we, we, we think, well, do we have to just tell the story again? I mean, it's just the same old story. Yes! Yes, that's exactly what we do. When we planted this church here four years ago, a few months in, C.J. Mahaney said, guys, I just want you to know this is the same thing as church. Come next week, you're going to hear the same things. Because we only got one thing going for us. And that's the fact that Jesus Christ died to save sinners and to reconcile us to God. It's the greatest news and we will never stop proclaiming it. Now, you can proclaim that in a way that makes it feel boring. Which, as I mentioned earlier, is not good. It's not what we want to do. But you've got to be convinced that it's really amazing. First, so... Read books, read the Bible, read your Bible first, read your Bible. Understand why so many times Paul says, in Christ, in Him, in Christ, in Him. What's he getting at? Our life is in Christ. We, we want people to see that. Read other books, like, let me recommend some, The Gospel Primer by Milton Vincent. If you feel that your understanding of and experience of the Gospel needs to increase, these books will help you with the Spirit working through them. The Gospel Primer, Primer by Milton Vincent, The Cross of Christ, C.J. Mahaney, The Gospel-Centered Life by Jerry Bridges, 50 Reasons Why Jesus Came to Die by John Piper, and if you really want to read the uh, uh, 
Did I say the cross of Christ by C.J. Mahan? That's by John Stott. That's, that's like the gold standard. The cross of Christ by John Stott is just fantastic book. Living the Cross-Centered Life is by C.J. Um, value tunes, value truth over tunes and Christ over creativity. It just is similar to saying the same thing. Our job as artists isn't just to help people express feelings, but to help them see and understand and treasure Christ in his work and then respond naturally. It's like if, if, you're, if you're going to the Grand Canyon, you, you don't want to be the guy who sets up a slideshow like you know, 20 feet from the edge of the Grand Canyon. You say, hey, God, look at this. Look at this. I'm just going to tell you some things about the Grand Canyon. It's amazing. So I've done do a lot of research. And I'm just show you some slides. And you have flashing lights going on. I think, this is really great. It's so creative. You don't want to do that. You just want to say, you know the Grand Canyon's been here this many years. And it's this deep. It's a mile wide. And um, you know, why don't you just go look at it? And so people walk over and they just do this. Mouth open, just in awe. Why? Well, because they looked at the Grand Canyon. That's why. So we want to get people to look at the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's what we want to help them see. Refuse to settle for the status quo what's popular or what you've always done. Now, this might sound contradictory to what I shared earlier, but if we treasure the gospel, then we will recognize that people hear things differently at different times and we'll want to take advantage of that. Uh, I just read somewhere recently, some, someone's, uh, maybe it was in, in a question someone wrote me, I don't know. Um, someone's saying that one of their, somebody at their church says, we don't want the songs changed. We don't want the arrangements changed at all. We want them done the same way every time. Don't think that's necessarily helpful uh, because people get used to arrangements and they just start to think, yeah, this is the way we do it. And they start to kind of check out. Uh, it's, it's nice to mix up your instrumentation. It's nice to, it can be effective to change your staging. If, if, you, excuse me, if you can do that, you know, move the instruments around. Use two acoustic guitars. If you have full band all the time, try two acoustic guitars one Sunday. You know, people might say, what, what's going on? But just tell them, hey, we don't want us to think that worship is a particular sound. That, like, the Holy Spirit doesn't show up unless the drums are here. He's here now. And he's hearing you. And we want to hear you. And we're going to hear you better now because we're just two acoustic guitars. Change the arrangements. Uh, you know, despite Al Mohler's um, uh, <laughs> question uh, yesterday about why do millennials put uh, happy songs in minor keys, sometimes that works. Uh, it helps you hear things in a different way. Do a slow song fast, do a fast song slow. It, it just helps you hear it differently. But again, we're not doing it just because we can. We're doing it because it helps people hear what we're singing. Helps people understand what we're singing. Um, and don't see it as, as a technique. I've seen this happen where you know, some, some leader will find a technique that's just really great. They do it once, it's really great. You know, they, they tag a song, you know, the last line three times. And it works. It's great. Uh, oh, that was such a moment. Next song, tag the song three times. Next song, tag the song three times. And they just think, well, no, this is magic. This is like, I got it. Like, I just, I just tag the song three times every time. And people will be just like, oh. you know, know what people do? They're like, oh, it's like, oh, the song's ending. Okay, good, we're good. Uh, it's not a technique. 
if you are engaged with what you're singing, you'll be thinking, what, what would be help to really increase the impact of these words? So just as you're leading, as you're thinking, as you're leading, hopefully you are thinking as you're leading, um, be asking the question, well, no, if this question comes to your mind, or if this thought comes to your mind, um, oh, we did this before, this will work again. Don't do it. That's just not a very good reason to do something. It worked, it worked before, we'll do it again. If, it's, you know, if you did something spontaneous at one point and you're thinking, let's just do it again, because it worked. Resist that temptation. Wait for something that's new, that you hadn't thought of, and said, let's, let's try that. It's a little riskier, but, but the Holy Spirit loves us to take risks, because they're not really risks. We're just seeking to serve people. We're seeking to pastor people. Um, we can change up harmonies. Um, you know, vocalists, God bless them. Um, some vocalists are, are just always doing harmony for everything. If you do harmony for everything, it loses its value. It, it, and people can't tell what the melody is. So be creative with your harmonies. Um, have one person, different people lead out in songs. Uh, do, do harmonies on the verses and maybe the unison, chorus in unison. Switch it up. Just... I mean, I don't normally do that. I do the harmonies of the chorus and unison of the verses, almost always. But hey, sometimes it's just going to work to do, do two or three-part harmony in the verses. Um, service order. Change up your service order. Not too much, because there is, there is a wonderful thing that happens when people know what's coming enough to be comfortable, but then can also new things can also be interjected. But just change the length of things. Change your lighting, perhaps. I mean, we meet in a hotel room, so our lighting is... Uh, different gradations of on, full on, to off. And sometimes it happens during the meeting by accident. That's not our preference. But um, if you have lighting instruments, you know, just change them a little bit. Adding testimonies to your service, stories of how God has worked in people's lives. Use your creativity to help people see how glorious Christ in the gospel really is. There's nothing you can do. Cultivate and expose yourself to creative thinking communities, both churches and ministries. Are we ending at 4.30? Oh my gosh. Um, allow yourself to be stretched artistically. Don't be afraid to reject creativity that, that ignores functional limits, that, in, that, in, that ignores the limits we've been talking about. It. And don't be creative simply because you saw somebody else do it. Oh, they did this, so let's do it. You know, a lot of times, like, a church will copy what some other church is doing, and they'll do it for a couple years, and then they'll go back to that church, and, like, they stopped doing that, like, two years ago. Yeah, it, just, it wasn't serving our people. You know, but we saw someone do it. Hey, that's great. How many of us are always, like, trying things out, seeing this works, seeing this works, and we might see someone as they're trying something out. Uh, give it time, and really question, is this really going to serve our people? But don't be afraid to ask those questions. Can we change things so that there might be more of an impact of the gospel in people's lives? Recognize that creative sometimes means old, like doing old songs, doing old liturgies, old traditions. Sometimes it means simple, breaking things down. Sometimes it means familiar, doing things that are very familiar that maybe you haven't done for a long time. You bring it back. In our use of creativity, it's, it's really important that we value the sound of the congregation. 
the most important musical sound when the church gathers is not my keyboard, not my voice, not the drums, not the guitar, not the synth. The most important sound musically is the congregation. Again, Harold Best says this, it is the congregation that is to be heard above all. If it is not, then one of two things is wrong. Either the congregation is not singing to the Lord with all its might, or some other musical body or activity is keeping this from happening. It can be difficult for musicians to not play, but I would say that is one of the most important aspects of good playing. Is no, <laughs> not a keyboard player, obviously. Um, we, we want to leave room for the people to sing. Never stop asking questions. We tend to lapse into unreflective repetition. We just do it because we've done it. It's easy. I love just doing the same thing every week. It's so easy. And my senior pastor and my fellow elders, they challenge me. They say, hey, let's do this. Let's, how about this? And uh, it's just so good. It's so good because God uses that. God uses that thought of how can we do this better not to make the gospel better than it really is, but to help people see how good it is already. We're not trying to make the gospel better. If we think we can make the gospel better, we don't understand the gospel. Creativity will not do that, but it can help people see it more clearly. C.S. Lewis once said that liturgy should feel like an old shoe, comfortable and familiar, so that we can concentrate on the meaning behind our actions. That's true to a point, but repetition can just as easily produce contempt as it can understanding. We want our people coming to expect to encounter the living God through Jesus Christ. That's what we want for them. All the technology in the world can't do that. And we don't want to try to compete with the world. But what we can do is seek to take the gifts and the means and the resources that God has given us and use them in new ways, in fresh ways, to help people see that the Son of God has come that he has died a substitutionary death that covers all their sins. And that through his life, death, and resurrection, they can be reconciled to God and know the security of God's love forever. That is such great news. May God give us wisdom to, to stretch out, to, to do things we haven't done before so that what has been done already might be more clearly seen in people's hearts and lives. Any questions? Oop. We have negative one minutes for questions. Anything? Yeah, these will be really quick. We're not going to do more than five minutes. Yeah. How many songs would you introduce to a church throughout an entire year? New songs? Probably, be probably around 12. Yeah, and it depends. Some of those are special songs. Um, some of those are, well, the others are songs that we wanted. Special songs, songs that didn't work, and uh, songs that we end up doing, that enter into the repertoire. You only do about 300 songs a year, six songs a week. Half those you're going to repeat, I think. Generally, it's 150. 
Some of those you can do three and four times. That brings it down to about 100, 80 to 100 songs. You're only doing about 80 to 100 songs a year, probably. That's my guess. Um, you, you, you just can't keep introducing new songs into that repertoire. And so, uh, as I shared somewhere, um, I'm looking for songs that, that fill a niche, that there are songs that we aren't singing much about. And those are the ones I'm looking for. We used to teach two a month. When I was a young leader, I used to try to teach two a month. It was ridiculous. Uh, so I'd say between 12 and 15. Yep. Any other questions? Yep. Yes. That was a cappella. Yep. Yep. Nope. Yeah. When we, I, I really encourage, and it depends on your church. I really encourage both the, the Holy Spirit's help in planning and the Holy Spirit's help in leading. So I tell my band, uh, look, we're going to rehearse this, but I'm, I don't hold me to it. Um, and I want to, like in rehearsal, make sure they can see me and hear me because I might do something different. And so, and of course, just, just look over, just glance over, you know what's going on. Yeah, so that, this is like close the song, stop doing what you're doing. Most times I try to lead through my voice because everybody knows them. But yeah. And so that little moment where I was singing um, after your, your Mercy is More, that was not scripted, that was all. Just, let's just take a little moment and reflect. Those words are so great. Your mercy is more. So I kind of sang a prayer and, and just let us just dwell on that. And then, hey, why don't we go back to the chorus again? You know, that was creativity for the purpose of, of letting that truth settle into us more concretely. So I don't know if it's effective or not, but that's what we did. That's all spontaneous. Yeah, yeah. Which I wouldn't recommend if you're not like used to doing that. But yes, one more question. Oh, good, good. Yeah, you know, sometimes we're just so engaged. This is what I mean about, this will be the last question. The danger of repetition is that we're just doing the thing and we think we're just singing. We're not singing. We're interacting with the living God. Jesus, the Son of God, is dwelling among us as we sing. Do we realize that? So that's, that's the question I'm asking as, you know, as I'm leading. So that's why sometimes we'll slow it down, sing something at the end. Let's think about these words just a little bit more. So I hope this has been helpful. Thank you for what you do in your local churches. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity, again, to be together pray that what we've shared here and the other breakouts would, would serve and equip folks who are here and, and that the people at home would, would see change. Uh, they'd see a greater passion to, to present music and songs and services in a way that is, is creative, creative for the right reasons. Creative in a way that magnifies your glory in Christ, that draws us together and that stirs our hearts with affection and love for Jesus, our great Savior. It's in his name we pray. Amen.